Welcome to Going Deep, sports in the 21st century on Blue Ridge Public Radio. I'm Dr. Marsha Mountshoot. And I'm Coach John Shoot. John's coached at the highest levels of the game of football for 26 years. And Marsha is an author, theologian, and minister. And we're glad you've joined us to go deep into some of the most pressing issues of our time. On Going Deep, we go beyond the sound bites and highlight reels. This episode of Going Deep is divided into two halves. For the first half of the show, Marsha and I will look broadly at Youth Sports in America with John Solomon, the editorial director of the Sports and Society program for the Aspen Institute. The second half of the episode, Marsha and I will dig deeply into the youth sports scene here in Asheville. Our guests will include Michael Patterson, Amelia Thompson, and Kim Kennedy from the City of Asheville Parks and Recreation Department. Let's start with John Solomon from the Aspen Institute. So our, our main initiative in the Sports and Society program is called Project Play. Um, and that develops, applies, and shares knowledge to help stakeholders build healthy communities through sports. Um, we report, uh, produce reports that like take a deep measure of the state of play at national, regional, and, and city levels about youth sports. A lot of um, exclusive data and insights. Um, we create you know, frameworks and tools that um, policymakers, other stakeholders, parents, coaches can use to try to grow access to quality sports. Uh, we really, um, our big mission is trying to provide quality access to sports for all kids, regardless of their ability, income, gender, race, uh, because repeatedly in, in over the last couple of decades, there continues to be sort of this haves versus have nots in youth sports of who has quality access to sports. And we know all of the benefits that come from playing sports or just being physically active, whether it's you know emotional, social, and, and physical benefits. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, I think within the Project Play initiative, the idea of free play versus everything that seems to be hyper-organized from parents scheduling play dates with their kids to micromanaging, well, athletic teams, even at the age of four or five. Yeah, I mean, so I don't know what it was like with, with, with you all growing up, but I mean, for me, I'm 44 years old, so I grew up in the 80s and early 90s, and free play is what you did. You know, I mean, you, you played on some organized teams, of course, as well, but you go outside for hours and hours playing with friends until it was dinner time or it was dark, and um, you you made up your own rules, you made up your own games, you settled your own disputes, you, you play, right? And it was your enjoyment, you were playing for the enjoyment. Um, what's happened in, in recent years, and it's been an ongoing pattern, and it's not just sports, but is that uh, a lot of kids' lives are, are very structured. Um, that, that includes organized sports, but it could also include academics, you know, arts, music, you know, what have you. Um, so there's less and less uh, kids playing outside and enjoying all those benefits, even though there's a lot of research showing that um, it's incredibly important for kids to just play on their own and play on their own terms, because then they find a the love and enjoyment of sports on their own. 
I think additionally in free play, you kind of negotiate relationships and the nuance of relationships. And I sometimes think in free play, it gives young people an opportunity to develop some type of leadership skills or even really kind of identify what kind of person you are, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, you know, I've, I've talked to some coaches sometimes, um, you know, they're, they're organized travel team coaches and they're sometimes they, they just set up sort of like free play type scrimmages, say like a free play hockey scrimmage, right? This one dad told me he was a coach and he says, go, go, go out and just, you know, play, just play a hockey, you know, hockey. They didn't know how to go out and play, right? Like they didn't know they needed help. Like, okay, no, here's what you do. You have two captains, you know, or you pick teams and you, and you just, just structure and you, you know, play, play. And they, we're not teaching kids how to just play, you know, on their own. And if they're not exposed to it, just like anything in life, if they don't know how to just go play on their own and, and create teams and, you know, um, build relationships and all that, then why would we expect them to just be able to play on their own? You got to give them a little bit of a nudge and a push. And then adults just take a step back and and get out of the way and, and let them play. Uh, our back, my backyard in Kentucky, I grew up in central Kentucky and our backyard was the place, you know, where everybody came and played softball and kickball and kick the can and all that stuff. And, and we're a little bit older than you, John. So we're <laughs> uh, John and John's 51, I'm 52. And, um, and I think one of the other things that happens when you can play um, freely is just, you learn what you actually love to do. Um, and one of the, the things I realized when our kids were little and we started getting them exposed to different sports is it so quickly became a chore. You know, you had to have all this stuff. You had to be there at a certain time. You had to, you know, there were all these games and you couldn't do anything else. And it just very quickly becomes pretty intense. Um, and, and our son plays rugby, which is not as Americanized. And I, I really noticed that a lot of those practices when he was little were just a lot less structured. They just, he'd just get there and just boom, just run out there and they were just playing and he just, he just loved it. Um, and I wonder if, if you kind of understand and uh, have an understanding of the wince of this trend in America. Is it the commodification of sport? In other words, in other words, is it a way to generate profit? from sport, from families, or is it, um, you know, kind of follow the trajectory of parenting in general, which is kind of more like, you know, into the weeds and details. I know things about my kids. My parents still don't know about me (laughs) when I grew up. Yeah. It's, it's a little of both. So, I mean, taking a step back, I think it, um, this, this intensity of youth sports and, and, and becoming this it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Let's make sure we understand that it. it's not all of it is, is very highly commercial, but there's a lot that is very profitable. There are a lot of people who are making a lot of money off youth sports that people may not realize they're, you know, coaches or, you know, in, or club directors. And some of these people sometimes are making six figures or tournament directors. Um, so they are, there is an incentive for them to play as many games as possible, as many tournaments as possible to get back onto the field as quickly as possible during COVID, even if maybe we shouldn't have come back as quickly as we did in, in some cases. So at this chase, this uh, this intensity kind of 
it has been going on for the past couple of decades, increasingly, probably more and more, um, because sort of the chase for the college athletic scholarship and this belief, I think, by a lot of parents that, and a lot of well-intentioned parents that they want to give their child the best opportunity, you know, to succeed. Um, and I actually don't typically fault most parents for this. There are some of the crazy parents. We all hear those stories, but I think most parents are actually pretty sensible um, and they just want to give their kids a chance to even just make the high school team, much less college or pro, which is a huge long shot, but they don't know what good should look like in youth sports. They are just told, you know, word of mouth, you know, by other parents, they see what other people are doing. They see that kids are specializing in sports at really early ages, even though we know that it can increase the risk of burnout or overuse injuries. I mean, we have research showing that the average child quits sports by about age 11. Um, and it's because it just, the number one reason it just stops being fun. They lose interest. It's natural. If you think about it, if you keep having young people do things over and over and over again and, and teaching them like a job, um, then that's what's going to happen. So at Project Play, our number one strategy for how to improve youth sports is really simple. It's ask kids what they want. Um, unfortunately, not enough adults do it. Um, but there actually is a, a good motto out there that youth sports could um, copy a little bit. And that is the like the video game and technology industry. Um, and so we all um, understandably in some ways bemoan how much our kids are on the couches and on their devices and not being physically active and playing video games. And I feel that way with my kids sometimes as well. Um, but if you think about it, the, the video game industry is really smart. I mean, they have customized games um, based on skill level. You can play with friends. Um, you can, um, you know, have cool graphics. You don't have one of the biggest things, adults looking over your shoulder and shouting, you know, shoot or pass or do this or critiquing you left and right because adults don't know anything about video games. There's actually a lot that could be learned from uh, video games for youth sports. And that is recognize that, that kids ultimately are, are your customer and make sure you're asking them what they want out of their experience, not what the adults want. There's obviously good sports programs and there's bad sports programs. There's good coaches and there's bad coaches. And, and in his audio book, Playing to Win, Michael Lewis, the writer who wrote, you know, Moneyball and the Blind Side, he, he compared the travel sports market to a market for addicted drugs. And there's really no consumer index report for all these different travel teams, the consumers parents and, and children can use to try to make decisions about which team is the best, which sport is the best. Can you help our listeners here in Western North Carolina as well? I know a lot of them navigate that kind of path. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it, it's really difficult um, because youth sports, like to your point, is so fragmented in the United States. Um, we're a, a rare country, um, at least among some of the more developed countries in the world, that doesn't have a, a sport ministry, you know, that, that, that a top-down approach from like the federal government that, you know, gives you some basic principles or goals and, and sets the agenda. Now, there are pros and cons of sport ministries because we've seen some countries 
do it pretty poorly, you know, and then times and create, you know, re- real issues as well. Um, but because it's so fragmented, everyone's just sort of on their own and there's not that um, cohesive nature. Um, what we're going to, we're going to be releasing in August um, is called um, a, a bill of rights for children um, in sports. And so the children's bill of rights in sports will set out basically about like eight basic principles of um, the rights for children to play sports and what that means and what that looks like. And then sort of trying to get some momentum around having organizations around the country, having coaches, having, you know, grant makers um, really use these rights as criteria in building in of what their experience should look like for children. Um, You also are starting to see a little bit, and this is coming out of the pandemic, um, some states are proposing some bills around um, commissions or task force related to youth sports. Um, there was one proposal in Massachusetts um, about creating a task force because there was a major travel sports company that went under during the pandemic and cost a lot of families a lot of money, you know, who, who couldn't get, you know, refunded and didn't have the experience. And so they're going to look at, you know, some of the potentially, if it passes, some of the business practices and, and some of the issues to provide better experiences. New Jersey you know, has, has um, there's a proposed bill as well that's exploring this. So it will be interesting to see if if government, you know, plays more of a role in this uh, moving forward. That's interesting. Um, and again, kind of paralleling with with collegiate revenue sports and the more government, you know, kind of say so about name, image and likeness and things like that. Can you say a little bit more about the the Bill of Rights? Um, how is that being generated? Who's being involved in that in that process of generating that document? Yeah, yeah. So we have um, some people related to like um, who have experienced in what United Nations has done with Bill of Rights and, and human rights. Um, we're going to release it all around August 12th. So there'll be a lot more information um, at, at that time, um, but it's it's been a, about a year-round process, and we we talked about it um, at our Project Play Summit last fall, and had some speakers, um, and it's been a, a collaborative process with some experts in the field to, to sort of hone in on you know what are the key things, and then there will be some um, major organizations and some athletes who are going to be you know promoting it as it as it goes out the door. So yeah, we're looking forward to it. So I wonder um, as that is generated. I- I, I mean, John coached football for a long time and, um, you know, those, those athletes, um, you know, you can kind of, kind of see as they're growing as little ones, like, Oh, that kid's gonna get pretty big or that kid's, you know, pretty fast or, or whatever. And the kind of early, early ways and early, kids can be really young and in, in basketball and football and, and already get exploited by um, some of the leagues. And I wonder if the patient, if the, if the um, bill of rights for children in sports takes into account that certain groups, i.e. communities of color, where the narrative is the way you make it is, you know, you become a really good athlete. Um, is there attention to the, the fact that those communities are more impacted, the more commodified sports becomes, they, you know, they become commodified at earlier ages as children? Yeah, no, it's a good thought. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right that that's, you know, that is an issue um, because there are some kids who 
the, 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 their, their belief also is that they, the way they make it in life is only through playing sports. Um, and then that's the only path to get in a college scholarship, to get in a college education, to, to getting out of what can be a very difficult life if you're in a low-income community, if you're in a community that has violence. Um, so, so absolutely, that's, that's definitely an issue. Thanks for listening to Going Deep, Sports in the 21st Century on Blue Ridge Public Radio. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Going Deep, Sports in the 21st Century on Blue Ridge Public Radio. The cost sometimes of these leagues and the travel of these leagues as 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 young as five and six year olds having to to travel can eliminate uh, a pool of people that may not have resources to pay for those. And I think that's been an eliminating factor to a huge pool of athletes or a reason that some young athletes have given up on a sport. Yeah, no, absolutely. We, we need more affordable, quality, community-based leagues. Um, so again, going back to my childhood a little bit, when I was growing up, I think parks and rec departments were thriving a little bit more and there were more local community leagues. You, you essentially played with the kids within your town, you know, within your neighborhood. There were some travel teams, but, and I was even on a travel soccer team, but travel soccer, at least for me back then, meant I was just traveling within the Washington, D.C. area and you did one summer tournament, you know, a year or two out of state, a fun trip. Now, of course, it could be every weekend, <laughs> you know, or, or every other weekend you're playing travel sports. And so what's happened is it's uh, it's taken away um, not just the money from the local community leagues, right? You're losing those fees because they're going to the travel sports. You're also losing the capacity, the, the people to administer and run these leagues in a quality way or coach these kids and have the time to coach in a quality way. So it's created this, you know, sort of haves versus have nots in youth sports. And we have data showing that, you know, um, kids who are about ages six to 12 who are in households um, of like under $25,000 play sports on a regular basis, far less than those in um, households over a hundred thousand dollars. And we have, you know, survey results from parents during the pandemic showing that, um, the higher income kids were playing sports m- more more hours than the lower income kids during the pandemic. They have the resources, they have the ability to travel, um, they have the ability to buy equipment, um, they maybe have uh, the the coaching you know that's needed and the volunteers. Um, and we believe it's just a, it should be a, a fundamental right. You know, all kids should be able to access quality sports. What what's also happened with travel sports, and this isn't to say I want to make sure I state this clearly that not all travel sports is inherently bad. Like there are a lot of people who have very positive experiences and you build relationships that way as well. But there are too many kids playing travel sports. Um, and then what happens is one, their parents are spending a lot of money and then some of these kids just can't play, right? It's <laughs> There's a, a numbers game. And so they're sitting on the bench and then the kids then may feel more pressure or the parents feel more pressure because their kid's not playing um, or the kid just loses interest as well. And if you have just one bad experience in sports, 
you may quit. You know, that may be it for a child. So some of these kids in travel really probably should be playing a local, more affordable, less stressful, less expensive league. But we, we have to give them quality options as well, right? It, can, it can't just be here's the local parks league, but maybe there's not good coaching or it's, you know, it's, it's not up to snuff of what they're really looking for. We, we, we need to sort of find that middle ground. So um, I'm assuming in some of the major travel sports that, that impact kids like soccer, there, there are like national accrediting organizations or something for coaches. And I'm just wondering, um, are there some sports that are doing a better job at the travel scene than, than others? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I don't know. I could say one's doing better than others, um, but you're, you're right that there are some accredited organizations, right? Like national governing bodies say like you, you know, all, all of them, I think pretty much have like accrediting organizations. You can get certified now getting certified. It, it's like, then what? Right. Um, so does, does anyone on the ground check to make sure that you're certified? Right. And then you, you, it's, it's proper certification. Um, are they trained in the right key competency areas, you know, meaning, you know, say concussions or head injuries, depending on the sport, um, you know, basic, you know, CPR, first aid. And increasingly, what, you know, we'd like to see more is just basic training in um, mental health and just understanding how to relate to kids and talk to kids. And um, it's challenging some because a lot of coaches, of course, are volunteers and you only have so much time um, in, in your schedule and they're already giving a lot of time to it. But we have to find a way to uh, make sure that coaches are relating to kids and that they're helping to grow their, their social and emotional development, not just their on the field skill development. Right. And not treating them like little adults, exactly. <laughs> but developmentally appropriate ways to motivate and yeah. correct and things like that. I help some with the high school football team here, and there's many young quarterbacks that come to me and say, hey, Shoop, how can I get better? And my number one answer to them is play basketball. <laughs> you, you'll develop touch, you'll develop, you know, balance and body mechanics that you need. Play as much basketball as you possibly can. You'll be shocked. I've never coached a quarterback that wasn't a great shot in basketball. I'm really worried about young athletes starting to specialize too early in one sport. Uh, and it happens in our community a lot with soccer. There's a high school soccer season. And then the off season of the high school is the travel season. And you see it in baseball. You see it in a lot of different sports. At what age, one, at what age would you advise uh, a young athlete to start specializing? And two, I think one of the things that coaches uh, on the national scene make a mistake in, and this is they eliminate some players before They've even gone through puberty and son of a gun. I can't tell you in football how many times I've seen guys come to our camp in ninth grade and then come to our camp in 12th grade. And I'm like, are you the same guy? <laughs> Holy moly, what just happened? Yet you sports might eliminate those guys a little bit earlier. So if you could talk about when specialization would be good and how coaches can create opportunities for those late bloomers. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, think about uh, Tom Brady. He didn't start playing tackle football till high school. I believe it's right. like ninth grade. There's so many stories like that. Um, the, the right age to start specializing. Personally, I, I, I tend to think just keep playing the sports you love for as long as you want to, as long as you love, like all the way through high school. I, I could, can start to understand a little bit more once you get into high school, maybe cutting that those numbers down a little bit. Maybe you're starting to specialize in high school if you know, you're, you're really serious about it. And you, um, But there's so many benefits to playing multiple sports. And I mean, John, to your point, you know this, but there's so many college football coaches who they look for multi-sport athletes in high school. You, you know, Urban Meyer and Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban, a lot of these coaches have talked about it for many years. One, because they're not just putting so much wear and tear on their body doing the same movements all the time. Two, it can create different types of physical skills and development of you know, um, to your point, playing basketball, you're moving your body in different ways and with your feet, you know, in different ways, it can create new leadership skills, you know, um, or, you know, even humble you a little bit, right? Maybe you're not as good in basketball, but you're the star football quarterback, but it lets you see things through a different um, viewpoint. Uh, we actually created a website and it's called healthysportindex.com um, a couple of years ago in which we evaluate the uh, most popular uh, uh, high school boys and girls sports based on three areas of physical activity. And we use data and we use expert analysis on this. We looked at the amount of physical activity for each sport. We looked at um, the injury rates for the sports and we looked at like the psychosocial benefits of each sport. Um, and then, so we sort of ranked them and it lets people sort of choose and look what's the best fit for my child. And then on each of those individual sport pages, it gives you uh, recommended sports that you can play in addition to your being your primary sport. So for instance, hmm. for football, we're talking about football. Um, we had Oliver Luck, you know, he was the XFL commissioner, former NFL quarterback, Andrew Luck's dad. He recommended, Hey, here are some complimentary sports for football. If this is your primary sport. And he mentioned, you know, basketball, wrestling, soccer, lacrosse, track and field, right? These are other sports that, um, you can gain different skills from, um, you can, uh, you know, rest your body, you know, in some ways. And we did it for, for all of these sports that you can look at. And, uh, you know, Kobe Bryant, you know, before he passed, offered recommendations for basketball um, and soccer, you know, being one of them. And he he's this great, uh, was this great basketball player. He grew up playing soccer, you know, over in Italy. Um, it was amazing. And we for, for coaches to do this, um, I think they have to, one, um, just sort of take a step back and, and recognize the big picture and be a little humble and know that um, it's okay if you let someone go play somewhere else. If they really love your sport, they're going to come back to your sport. Um, and if they don't, that's okay too. They should, they should do what they want. Uh, I think more youth sports leagues and coaches should provide materials and information of other sports they can play and just be more intentional about it. Say, particularly like, well, let's say it could be any sport, but say baseball, which is year round for, for so many kids and soccer often is year round. You could say, all right, look, you, you do need some time off here for a couple months in the summer. Why don't you go play this? And here, here's a local league where you can sign up for, or I know this coach, or I'll make this connection. And here's why it'll be helpful. Explain the why, you know, as well to, to kids and to parents and parents have to hear it as well, because parents are often on that that rat race you know trying to trying to get their children ahead they, they may be the ones that need to hear it most of all 
Indeed. You know, one message to think about if, you, if you're a parent is sort of back to what I talked about earlier is ask, ask your kid what they want and um, actually have some of these conversations or, or look at cues with them. Um, maybe there's a particular sport they don't like and they're, they're getting frustrated with it. And it's okay if they take a break, you know, from that sport and maybe try something else. Maybe it's just going back to, to free play and playing with friends or maybe they, uh, it, it's a non-traditional sport too. We talk a lot about, you know, the main sports, you know, football, baseball, basketball, soccer. Um, there are so many other sports out there, you know, even sports like pickleball or handball or, um, you know, other types of physical activity that kids can do. Follow your kid's lead, you know, have that conversation. And then as a parent, sometimes if, if your child is really miserable over a sports experience, maybe ask yourself a little bit, am I a part of this in any way? You know, how, how, how can I make this a better experience? Do I need to take a step back? Um, and then ultimately, I, I, you know, I think kids, kids, will, kids will go where they want to go um, if you let them. <laughs> don't, you know, we don't want to strap them down to just playing you know, a particular sport if they don't want to. Amen. Marcia, anything? No, this is, it's really good stuff. It just, um, I really appreciate the, the intentionality of, of the effort. And, and I do, um, look forward to seeing the bill of rights and just how it kind of hits the ground, giving, um, people a framework and some language as they think about the way they're their sports leagues are operating. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. In the second half of Going Deep, let's sharpen our focus from the broad spectrum of the work done at the Aspen Institute to the on the field, court, and or in the gym work of the City of Asheville Parks and Recreation Department. My name is Michael Patterson. Uh, I've been here for almost two and a half years, going on three years in December. Uh, I'm in charge of the adult athletics with our athletics department. I do a lot of work uh, with our rec centers, actually, uh, going in, helping them with programs, uh, but also doing some community, uh, some community outreach and working with a few of our user groups. I'm Kim Kennedy. I've been with the city about 16 years now, and I'm the facility manager over at the Stevens Lee Recreation Center. And over here, we offer a little bit of everything, athletics, after school, summer camp, um, craft classes. We have a fitness center, uh, really a new renovated fitness center. It's beautiful, kind of a, a, an unknown thing here. Um, and we just, we just do a little bit of everything seven days a week, um, about uh, 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. Uh, weekdays. Hi, I'm Tamelia Thompson. Um, I've been over here at Stevens Lee for four and a half, almost five years, almost straight out of high school. Um, my main focus is the teens, but I also deal with the youth and the neighborhood, um, partners with the East End community, um, the alumni here, um, seniors, toddlers, just a, just a little bit of everything. And Tamilia said it perfectly for this job, no matter what the area, you have to be a Swiss Army knife to be able to do a little bit of everything. I wonder if you could just start by talking about, a, do you all feel like you're 
you're able to really reach a lot of kids in the community, um, a lot of families? Do you feel like there's a high level of engagement with the services that you provide? There's definitely a really good turnout with numbers. Uh, we do anything uh, from league play, open play. We have several different leagues, clinics, trainings. Uh, we try to do stuff uh, with the community, within our centers. Uh, so we do have, we do have, definitely have a good um, reach with a lot of the community members and the kids. I, for one, Michael, have just signed up to play some fall softball in the uh, uh, there in Nashville. As uh, uh, which which team? Okay, uh, I'm going to be with the Presby's. We've played in it before, and it's an absolute blast. Could you say specifically kind of what sports you do offer? Uh, I'll start with the adult side. So we do offer, like I said, we have a fall adult softball signups that are going on currently. Uh, glad to have you out there on Tuesdays. We're definitely gearing up for that. Different seasons of adult softball. We do volleyball, indoor and sand volleyball, and some open play with that as well. Uh, we have a winter basketball league. This year, we actually did our first uh, women, all-women's uh, pickleball league at Oakley. We actually ran one at Stevens Lee when I first started working as well, uh, doubles uh, co-ed. But this one, this one was really huge with our pickleball uh, community. We also offer an adult flag football league during the wintertime. And so with our youth, we have uh, from now until the end of the year, we have our uh, youth baseball league, our winter basketball league, Spring will uh, spring will have a youth flag football league, but with our youth, we also offer a variety of camps, clinics, training, anywhere in those traditional sports right there to a thing called SAQ with the speed, agility, and quickness. That's actually for the youth and adult. So our main focus and our main goal is to keep that be active lifestyle, promote you know what, getting out there, trying something new, but having fun with it. So we definitely try to keep something going year round. So like, for instance, with a lot of these um, opportunities for kids and adults, I'm going to focus mostly on the kids. Mm -hmm. Are are all the coaches volunteers and what kind of, um, you know, training do they have for working with kids from all different backgrounds and stuff like that? Yeah. So our coaches are, uh, are volunteers, um, even with, so I'll, say, I'll start with our leagues. So our leagues, our coaches are volunteers. But with some of our clinics, we actually do sometimes we run our clinics ourselves. Uh, but going back to that, the Swiss Army and I have been able to do a little bit of everything. Sometimes we have people at the rec centers or within our own support staff that are able to help run some of these camps and clinics and trainings. Because uh, we have a lot of resources within, within us. And when it comes to coaching, a lot of them are volunteers. But when it comes to our clinics, we do sometimes have some community support. Uh, this Wednesday coming up, we have our last uh, sand volleyball training play. It's actually the first time we've actually ran it. We had a very large population of middle school girls, sand, uh, middle school girls volleyball, and they're interested in getting some time before their season. So we actually had uh, one of the local coaches reach out to us, and we've been running strong between 30 and 40 kids every Wednesday at Carrier Park. Uh, that's been going on since the beginning of summer. Uh, it, ends, uh, it ends this week coming up, but like I said, it's that community involvement. We definitely have several coaches, and a lot of our coaches are returning. So a lot of them, they've already been through the process. They understand what our goals and objectives and 
if anyone anyone new that comes up, we try to give them some training right there, but also pair them up with someone that knows what they're doing as well. Could you talk a little bit about, in your opinion, what makes a good youth coach? Because we've all had good ones that have just made you love a sport. And frankly, I can remember growing up that have had some that made me think, I don't particularly like this sport so much anymore. <laughs> exactly. I definitely had a few of those coaches from kindergarten all through the, my college days right there. I've had some I've enjoyed, and there's some. Like, Whew. <laughs> going back to mom and dad. <laughs> but, uh, what makes but a good one in your mind? They need to be able to care. Um, some of the kids that come out, some are very athletic. Some, this is an outlet for them right here. So being able to have good listening and communication, to be able to help that kid develop that foundation. Because a lot of times at our, our recreational level, we're getting kids that are fresh and very new to a lot of the sports right there. No matter if it's someone in kindergarten or first or sometimes someone picking up a baseball bat or a basketball for the first time in fourth or fifth grade. Uh, but having someone that's been able to develop that foundation for the kid uh, it's the same thing with a lot of our sports right there with no matter if it's youth or adults, uh, that foundation is really important. Being able to communicate, having, having some good skills to be able to talk at the kids level right there, get on one knee, find out, you know what? You might've made a bad play right now, but you know what? Encouraging them right there, but also have a good communication with the parents, good, the bad, the funny, the ugly, being able to have that open door with, your participants and the families. We can go on forever. A coach for me growing up, that was that was one of my superheroes right there. Right. Um, there's a couple of coaches growing up for me that I still stay in contact today because I still make mistakes. I'm not perfect, but I'm able to go back to my mentors and those coaches from back in the days. And the same thing they told me when I was five, six, and seven, they still tell me when I'm 37. So <laughs> that relationship building right there is very important. Thanks for listening to Going Deep, sports in the 21st century on Blue Ridge Public Radio. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Going Deep, sports in the 21st century on Blue Ridge Public Radio. Sometimes coaches are like other parents, like other dads and other moms. Tamelia and Kim, I wonder if you would add anything to Michael's list about what makes a good coach for youth. I can say uh, Michael kind of wrote me in about two years ago being a youth basketball coach. And uh, I think I was for like third or fourth grade kids. I would say just patience. Like you said, just being patient with them because a lot of them, they are new to the sport and their parents are wanting them to try something different or get them out the house engaged. Um, so, yeah, patience, being able to talk to them, making sure to challenge them, making them feel confident in themselves. And even if they, if in your head, you know, like, mm, that wasn't right, making them feel confident, like, yeah, you, you did a good job, like, Next mm -hmm. time, maybe try doing this instead of doing that. So, yes, yeah. What about you, Kim? Anything you would add? I would just add, I think, being present when you're there. When you're coaching the kids, you're not on your phone, you're not dealing with something that you had an issue at work, 
you're present for the kids and giving them your full attention. A lot of these kids do not get enough positive adult attention. And Mm -hmm. so that's one, you know, thing that's really important for coach. Yeah, that, that all resonates a lot. And I think all of the things that you all said are amplified in COVID, you know, just that kids need more community. They need more connection. They need more attention. They need more play. They need more movement. They need more confidence. You know, all of those things are just so heightened um, right now and in and, and all the different things, challenges that folks are dealing with. One of the things that's happening at the Aspen Institute, the John mentioned that we had just um, interviewed um, someone from the Aspen Institute, is that they're going to be coming out this fall with a Youth Athlete Bill of Rights. Um, in other words, just a, a list of things that, you know, every kid should be able to to have when they come out and play sports in their community. Um, And one of the questions John and I asked is, were youth involved in coming up with that bill of rights? And he said that they actually weren't, you know, that they had a lot of other experts and stuff. Um, But I do wonder sometimes like as a coach myself, I coach cross country and track um, and was a runner all growing up and through college and then, of course, married a football coach for years and years. We, those players were part of our family. But if we ask the youth athletes themselves, what, is, what are the things that are most important to them? Sometimes the girls that I coach will just say, just being on this team. I just like being on this team. This is like a family to me. Like, this is like, these, these are like my people, you know, they're coming here and we talk about our problems and we laugh and we work hard at stuff, but, but the team is what's most important. Do you all find that, that, that the kids are able to kind of build community with one another? Yes, for sure. Um, when I was growing up, uh, like I said, I played baseball, basketball, soccer, parks and rec level, travel ball, everything you can think of. And one thing that was instilled in me at a young age, where there's three things, I still live this very day, that music, food, and sports brings a community together. No matter what's going on in the world, the good, the bad, um, the violent, anything that's going on, those three things bring a community together. And then what we see with a lot of these kids they already have family members there. They might have their little brothers or cousins, but families are also, for a lot of them, families don't necessarily have to be blood. A lot of them, those are those relationships that are built from a young age through sports at the rec center. Um, a lot of different team building. Uh, that's one thing I really love about the uh, Asheville Parks and Rec uh, across the board when it comes to youth. Their goals and objectives right there is bringing those bringing those kids in and building that confidence and teaching them about teamwork and sportsmanship. Uh, For a lot of these kids, this is a safe haven. Uh, When they go home, some of them don't know when their next meal is coming through. Uh, They don't know. uh, They don't know if they're going to have money for lunch or anything. There's several different things that are out there and we see that on a daily basis. Uh, I think Kim and Tamir can definitely say this. Our jobs are 24 seven. We can be at we can be at a store, getting our car washed, going for a walk at the park. Hey, Mr. Michael. Hey, Miss Kim. Hey, Mr. Mick. It's 
it's a 24 hour, seven day a week job right there. They see us out and about all the time. And you said it perfectly with the teamwork and building those relationships, building friendships and families. And it's just, it's amazing. y'all can say a little bit about what your policies are um, at the Parks and Rec Department around just screening your coaches and child protection and you know the, the we know that coaches gain the trust of kids and can have access to kids um, how do you create the safest most trustworthy environment for all the kids especially the most vulnerable um, who may be the most, you know, kind of vulnerable to a, some kind of abuse or something. What do y'all do to, to create a trustworthy environment with the adults that you, that volunteer? So with our, with our sports programs, uh, with the youth, all coaches go through a background check prior to even stepping foot on the field. Um, there is a coaches meeting um, prior to each season. Um, going over our expectations, what to do, what not to do, how to deal with situations. But we also make sure that there's uh, plenty of staff on site as well. We just don't have a league where we just throw some, get everything organized, throw everyone out there, and it's just them. So we make sure that we've had several meetings with the coaches, uh, keep an update between emails, texts, phone calls, um, being open for conversation right there, uh, not only for them, but for the players and for the parents right there to make sure they have a great but safe experience. Uh, we go, uh, we do field checks so as coordinators. We do field checks, uh, especially that first few weeks and those last few weeks. But we always have uh, multiple staff at the facilities as well, just in case if something does happen. Well, I absolutely love the idea of organized teams coaches, the umpires being there. Michael, I'm knocking on wood. The thing's starting right on time. Uh, one thing that I think is really important for youth as well is just free play, where it's not always organized by an adult, but kids kind of organize it themselves. And, and I know the city of Asheville Parks and Rec has many multiple after-school programs that are listed for, for pre-teens and teens in this fall. And I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit, uh, perhaps we'll start with you, Tamelia, about the idea of just free play and well, there's certainly being some eyes that are supervising, but letting some kids figure some things out. Of course, um, I would definitely say here at Stevens Lee, um, since I've been here working with the teams, I always allow them the opportunity to voice their opinions and voice what a day looks like for them so that, you know, if they want to go outside or if they want to go, what we, ha what we have is a team room. If they want to go in a team room and play video games or pool or if they want to have, you know, a, a fundraiser to raise money for them to have to go to Fund Depot or go bowling, that they should get that opportunity. Because it's like you said, it's also a learning tool for them to learn a sense of responsibility. So I'm allowing you the chance to have a say so on what things may look like so that, you know, if something happens or something was made or a mistake was made, that they're able to take that responsibility in mature and grow into a young adult. 
Kim, do you have anything you want to add to that? Thank you, Tamelia. Yeah, I would say that we do have, we, we call it a uh, uh, free choice. So they, you know, it's not just free time where they can mm-hmm. kind of go crazy, but um, they do have um, so much structure in their lives, in the school, in their, you know, their parents are overbooked. They're all overbooked. So it is important to have time where kids just need to be themselves. Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed, and Tamelia probably has seen this as well, is we have teens and youth here we'll see the teens kind of being little mini coaches to the little kids, like teaching them how to play basketball and, you know, teaching them how to do soccer the right way and things like that. So they're kind of starting to get a little structure even in their free time mm-hmm. with the, the other kids. So that you feel like you're doing your job right when you see something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, they need time to unwind and kind of just not have to be, to be kids. Yeah. yeah. Just to yeah. be a kid. And what does it mean to be a kid? It's not coincidental then that I would imagine, Tamelia, that mm-hmm. you were perhaps once a youth who then was a teen and started coaching players. And now all of a sudden you're working for the Parks and Rec yourself. <laughs> Those are opportunities, mm-hmm. I, I think, that you give young boys and girls to be leaders and to mentor even young, younger children than them. And they just my experience has been similar. They just love it. They just yeah. love it. Yeah, we we uh, we give them opportunities to be, as we say, a volunteer or somewhat of a staff. They love, you know, being able to tell others to do things and have mm-hmm. that responsibility. So that because they everyone knows, like I'm a Parks and Rec baby. I started as the youth. I went to the teens. I did some coaching for it, volunteer work, and then now I work with the city. So seeing them see that full circle for me is kind of eye-opening for them. Like, just because I'm in this program doesn't mean when I come of age, I can work in this program and still do the same things that Tamilia, that I've taught them, the, the life lessons and the coaching and the mentoring that they can also do this when they get older. in children's sports and in youth sports is of course this 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 rush to specialize this rush to like you know my kid only plays this sport and we're on all every travel team and they're going to get a scholarship and you know just all the stuff that that pretty quickly takes the joy out of sports and, and turns it into like a job almost um, and I wonder how you all see the, that kind of phenomena, the travel sport phenomena, the specialization phenomena, the pressure to kind of for sport to become your ticket. And I know particularly in, I mean, again, John coached football for 26 years in the NFL and division one, particularly in communities of color where young men are like, you know, this is my ticket. I need to play football or I need to play basketball or that that's one phenomena. And then there's the phenomena of, of families that for the more niche sports like soccer or lacrosse or 
whatever, and they want their kid to get a scholarship and they want them to specialize in that one sport starting in when they're four years old or whatever, and they hire a personal coach. And so it comes from all different directions, but there's pressure. There's pressure for the sport to, to morph into something that's not fun to morph into something that is, that's loaded. And I wonder how you all take all of those factors into account in in what you do and, and what you see in your, in your athletes and your kids that you work with. Yeah. So one thing that we try to do is be, be open and diverse with our clinics and our trainings. Yes. We have like our, like our main leagues that we offer, but when it comes to trainings, we've done, we've done a few soccer clinics before we've done lacrosse before, um, we actually have opportunities for them to work with some of our pickleball of community uh, sometimes. So a lot of kids, you know, like myself growing up, we were always told it was either football, basketball, or track. And then throw in baseball right there. But being able to expose our kids to other sports outside of your traditional sports at a young age. And if I've had conversations with parents throughout my career about, oh, like, you know what, like my kid, he's doing really well in basketball. Um, I want to do, oh, put him on a travel team. I want to, like I said, get a, get a personal coach right there. And there's nothing wrong about travel um, or getting a coach right there. But there's also, there's been some studies uh, through various uh, universities. And it has shown that a lot of kids that play multiple sports growing up, they are better they become better at their main sport that they are that they are playing. Their grades actually do get a lot uh, a little better because they're being active throughout the year and not just the one, but they're not getting burnt out. And that's the main thing right there. If you get someone that's playing the same sport, no matter what sport it is, every day, year round, a lot of those, that's why we see a lot of drop off with that middle school right there. They're so burnt out by the time middle school rolls out, then they don't want to play. It's not fun. I tell people that the first three letters and fundamentals fun. And that's why it's, and that's why this level of recreation, the parks and recreation level, that lower level that the, some people call it. So kids can be a kid and experience different types of sports. And so they don't get burned out. Bringing fun back to it. I play, I deal with it. Sometimes I play uh, weekend travel softball and there's some weekends we do well. There's some weekends it is a full time and a half job. And so even as adult, we're still still dealing with some of those same things that the kids do. So feeling the pressures as an adult, I can just imagine or can't even imagine what a kid's going through between dealing with mom and dad at home, having to do what they need to get on the bus, have school, nothing but structure, 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 get off the bus. And all of a sudden it's practice, 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 then doing homework and repeating that five to seven days a week. That's a lot. It is not easy to be a kid these days. It is not easy. Thanks to our wonderful guests, John Solomon, Michael Patterson, Tamilia Thompson, and Kim Kennedy for an informative session on youth sports, not just in America, but also right here in our community. We hope you'll join us again on Going Deep, Sports in the 21st Century 
on Blue Ridge Public Radio. Thank you for listening. been listening to Going Deep, Sports in the 21st Century, from the studios of Blue Ridge Public Radio, NPR for Western North Carolina. Tell us what you think of the show by emailing us at goingdeep at bpr.org. Make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Shoops Going Deep. <laughs>